Now I'm getting very excited about being compared to Lewis in Angels in America. I was so upset. When, I told I was he's so the upset most interesting character that. in all of theater. And he leaves prior. Yes, he's, when he needs him most. He's a he's spineless. He's not he's weak. He's a coward. And we all relate to it on some yes. level. Yes, it's very human. It's in very, a way, as Terry goes to say, human. Pryor is not the protagonist. I know, but Pryor's always been my favorite character. Pryor is the lead, but Pryor is not the protagonist. Always been my fave. It's like the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> Where Emily Blunt is technically the lead. Yeah. yeah. Is Emily Blunt Lewis? Wait. No. No, I'm Lewis. What? I'm not and I'm I'm the resident straight on this episode. <laughs> not having seen It's good to have some representation on the pod. <laughs> what, what is wrong with me? So, Ben... That's very Mark Maron. Where did you see... What's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? (laughs) Where did you see Angels in America, Ben? I went to New York this weekend. (gasps) What? Yeah. (laughs) You're kidding. That's why you weren't responding to the group chat? Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't responding to the group chat. Mm -hmm. Tell us all about it. Did you... Let's talk about everything I did. Did you meet any (laughs) celebs? Um, I saw Michael Sarah eating a sandwich alone. He looked very sad. Fresh off his Tony nomination. Yeah, literally. The What's next he day, Tony nominated for? He's nominated he's for in. the, uh, is it Steve Martin? I will say, though. Did Steve Martin write a play? Huh? No, he, the Tracy, oh my god, the new Tracy Let's play. Oh. That, he's, he, that's what he's, he's nominated in it? for. Yeah. I, 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 that's a very <laughs> instant America thing. Yes. I, 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 I. We talked about that last week. Um... James McArdle, who plays Lewis in Angels in America, was not nominated for Best Actor. James McArdle gives the best performance in the Angels in America. And it would have been the 12th of 12 Tony nominations instead of 11. Really? More than any other play in history. But not more. It's not the most for a musical, though, right? No. So if it had gotten the 12th, it would have been... It already is the most, but it just would have been another. Yeah. (laughs) It would have been even more. I'd love it if he wins the Drama Desk or something. Uh, Like when Idris Elba wins the SAG for Best Supporting Actor for Beasts of No Nation after he was Mm -hmm. snubbed. Yeah. Snubbed. And... Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield is going to win. Really? Nathan Lane is going to win. The Tonys go for name recognition now. They do. Holy shit. Um, and it's all, it's just weak. The category is weak. Oh, is Otherwise. it? Otherwise. The Andrew? category is, next year's Met Gala, the category is weak. Weak. Wait, who's Andrew, oh. my boyfriend, Garfield, up um, against? I did, I, he was not my favorite performance because he plays it at a 10 the whole time, which surprisingly does work emotionally in the end, but I was kind of like, oh, this is great. At, at which first. type of downward angle is the wrist to hand ratio are we it's very femme it's very femme it's, so it's sort of an acute angle <laughs> an acute boy with an acute angle <laughs> acute boy at acute angle little pause <laughs> it's andrew garfield tom hollander in travesties i hear he's very good in that um jamie parker in harry potter mark rylands in fernelli and the king and denzel in the iceman cometh i'm gonna go see <laughs> mark rylands <laughs> mark rylands it's just like they gave it to Mark Rylance a couple years ago, and everyone's like, it's, like, whatever. Denzel, they gave it to him a couple years ago. And... Is, is Mark Rylance just a Grammy away from an EGOT? Did he win the Emmy for Wolf Hall? That's uh, a good question. I think he I guess did. that's what the internet's for. I don't know. Aren't we taking a film fags trip to the theater next month? Yes. Is that coming up? That's in June. June. To see Long Day's Raining Tonight. Starring With... whom? 
Leslie Manville. Ah! Nice. Lane Williamson. Do you guys follow him on Twitter? He's a theater fag in New York. I do. Um, he's seeing it right now because <gasps> it's in New York before it comes to LA. And he <coughs> told me from intermission, Leslie Manville is amazing and as amazing as she is is how bad Jeremy Irons is. Oh, oh no. So that's great. So it'll be fun. Yeah. I love contrast. Yeah. There's your balance. There's your balance. He was nominated for Wolf Hall. Did not uh, win. Who beat him? I'm not going to do that much research. Okay, well. It's only because it took me this long and I'm my, my just my pointer finger is tired. I'm tired. I don't want to click anymore. Well, that sounds amazing, Ben. And what else did you see? Did you see the the newest uh, Glenda Jack, Larry Met, Allison? The P. reason Joint. I went to New York at all was Glenda Jackson and Laurie Metcalf in Edward. Alden's. Oh, I thought Angels in America was the reason, and then you no. t- so it was vice it was versa. I I had he the, bought the tickets for Three Tall Women. First. Yeah, I had the tickets for Three Tall Women for like a full month, and then I was like, I can't go and not see Angels in America. Oh yeah. So rank the performances. Glenda Jacks, Lori Met, and Allison P. Psychotherapy of a Plains Indian. Number three, Allison Pill. Mm-hmm. <gasps> no, number four, Allison Pill. Number three, the silent son in the background. <laughs> oh, no. Who <laughs> Lori Metcalf screams, get out of my house. Is that shade? Yes. Oh. That was a joke. Aww, I love Allison I'm just Pill. being a bitch. But it, she, no, she's very good. Did y'all watch the abomination that was the newsroom? I watched the first season. It's the I only watched, show yeah, I've truly hate-watched from start to finish. You did the whole thing. I did the whole thing. I stopped after the 9-11 episode. Oh, that's... I mean, we're just getting started at the 9-11 <laughs> episode. The... the I'll, I'll make my point about Allison Pill, but in the finale episode, there is a moment where Jeff Bridges comes out of a garage at, like, a wedding of some sort. He sort of escaped the party, and walks out of this garage with an acoustic guitar with this strap around his uh around his body and just sort of walks out with the guitar and it always has reminded me of it follows like how the monster always takes a different <laughs> form and is just sort of stalking forward mm-hmm. like my version what i would be scared of is jeff, jeff daniels, daniels with an acoustic guitar <laughs> wrapped around his neck slowly strumming yeah and then he and um tony award winner um, from Spring Awakening. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse. I, know. I can't think of his name, but I know. Oh, uh, I don't know that guy. I could sing his song they, from. Spring they Awakening, sing. They sing a song together on the acoustic guitar. What? And it's a very Short moving moment. Except fiance. it ain't. What's his name? What the ah? Oh, what's his name? Jesse Tyler Jackson. Is that right? No, no I'm just. It's, <laughs> it is something like it's three words. They're all generic. They're all white. Yes. They're all first oh. names. White. Oh, John Gallagher Jr. Yes. There it is. So not quite. It's, not, it's, two, it's two names. Two first yeah. names. Um, but Allison Pill, they, it is like, it is not entertaining to watch the material they give her. It is abuse. Yeah. They just make her the most. Doesn't she get needling in the city Liberty gibbet. Yes. the water on her? Every episode. Every episode. <laughs> and then she has a breakdown and shaves her head. Mm. And so what? She, they were already like making her like the crazy girl. Like. Mm-hmm. She's so flighty. She's so quirky. And then and then she has an experience in a war zone that changes her worldview and she becomes hardened and shaves her head and she's like, Do you know what American soldiers are doing abroad? Like it's basically oh, kind of that. Oh my god. And it's like How many it, seasons it, did this thing go? I think three. Trois. Yeah. It's it's awful. And it's it's awful. It's a it's an American tragedy what they did to Alison Pill on that show. And also Emily Mortimer 
Anyway, yeah. oh, I back love to your her. ranking. Ugh. Well, sad. Anyway, oh, my bones. Our, she says, ow, my bones. No, you guys, in, in 30, 30 Rock, rock she has a, the a, avian <laughs> bone syndrome. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my bones. <laughs> I, I say that a lot. <laughs> my bones. Oh, my body. My body. <laughs> oh, my bones. Seek out my high school sinking into the sea. A great motion oh, picture. I just, I just thought about my student loans. <laughs> I need to make a payment when I go home. Oh, no. Oh, no. You better leave now. This yeah. is proof of payment right now, or proof of intent of payment. Yes. Great. So number two. I know Fed Loan Servicing listens to this. I want to so. know who go, who wins. Can we make prediction? Mm-hmm. I think Lori's your number one. I think Glenda's is number one. <gasps> number two. Glenda. Oh. Woo! Um, and there is a very specific Congratulations, reason. Brandon. Thank you. Um... And the very specific reason why Lori is number one is because Lori is young enough that she can act with her whole body. And uh, Glenda can't. That's ageist. It's just... It's her, just facts. It's just science. Her body doesn't move the way that Lori's does. <laughs> I it's reject this politique. No, thank she you. She doesn't... Lori is physically commanding. Mm-hmm. I want to see... Well, and you know... she plays... So Allison and Lori both play two characters. That's... Okay, yeah, sure. Did you say the name of the play? Three Tall Women. Okay. So, I know. <laughs> is I'm... the emphasis on three? I've always said it was Three Tall Women. 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 I would do tall. Three Tall Women. Yeah. So, it starts. <laughs> Glenda Jackson is the elderly rich woman. The lawyer is Allison Pill. She's there to make sure that Glenda signs some checks. Mm-hmm. Lori is... The old woman's caretaker. Mm-hmm. And then she, at the end of Act One, she goes into a coma, the old woman, and we come back and we are in the coma. And she's the woman at 93, mm. Glenda. Lori is the woman at 53. Allison wow. is the woman at 23. Well, and they're so having, they, they're, they're tulling. Wow. They're they having well, be. That sounds fascinating. They're having a full conversation, and how fitting that you saw this it is right a, before we it discuss. is Tuli. Tuli. It is Allison Pill wants to know how she becomes Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf wants to know how she becomes Glenda Jackson because they're all such different people, and they monologue about what they've gone through in their lives. Is it all set in a lighthouse at the end of the earth? Yes, in the zone, yes. <laughs> or in the, in the <laughs> simmer? Correct. The shimmer. In the simmer. This is it's incredible. very relevant to Tully. It is. And it's incredible. So, there's like the proscenium, you mm-hmm. know? And we're in like a, a rich New York apartment. By the way, that's a really big word. Congratulations. Proscenium? I, I know you're having difficulty. I don't even know what a fucking read. proscenium is. It's the arch. I don't know how to read. It's the frame of theater. Oh. It's the literal frame. <laughs> Oh, the arch. Yes. I'm going to wheel down a whiteboard and grab one of those long pointers and I'm going to smack the board and I'm going to (laughs) say, the difference between film and theater is that in the theater, we have a fixed frame, whereas in the cinema, we can change our proscenium around. Close up, wide shot, two shot, a tilt. Wow. Thank you, Professor. I love to cut. (laughs) Thank you. So... I just pulled it back up. Speaking, there it goes. Director of Three Tall Women Mm -hmm. is the original 
Lewis. Lewis, that's correct. From Angels in America. Correct. Two Congratulations, time. Daniel, Tony on directing. Daniel Crook. I'm doing great. Wow. I'm really doing great. Wow. <laughs> now, yeah, now how do you feel about being Lewis, bitch? I'm congratulating myself on the success. <laughs> I'm just excited that I've been labeled in the Angels in America universe as the straight for not having seen it, but as Meryl Streep. Yeah. Can't wait for my return to film in Mamma Mia. Here we go again. And then I look forward to your return to Televisión in In Big Little Lies. Volume 2. Have I said on the podcast my idea for what Big Little Lies Season 2 should have been? No. Have I said that on the show? I know you've told me yeah i don't know if you've said it do you remember what it is i don't but i do know that you've told me so obviously right when the first season ended and didn't nicole say like right away maybe we'll do season two or something and then the internet is sort of split between like hell no Mm -hmm. and yas and i was thinking they're probably gonna get a season two only because this was a huge cultural phenomenon the viewership was off the charts like it's all it's all such a timely story of empowerment and um, you know kicking an abuser down a down a, um, a set of stairs in Barnstall Art Park, <laughs> but I was thinking Love make specifics. it make it an anthology show. Oh, keep all the same actresses, keep the same general dynamic. It's going to be like a small community and then some sort of murder mystery element in the middle. Hmm. But it takes place in the desert in like Morongo Valley in a trailer park. Oh, so we lower go, everyone's We go from high class status to trailer trash. And I don't know what that conflict is exactly, but obviously, like, Reese mm. is not going to play, like, type A. Like, everyone right. is, against, is against type. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. We're, the, the, the actual Big Little Eyes sequel we're getting is probably not going to be nearly as interesting. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you so much. Really it's going to be more of a I'm retread. Drowning in my own success on this episode. <laughs> I hope not. But at least Andrew Arnold is directing it. I'm no, very I, I am very confident that it's going to be good. That's what made me. The only person more yeah. lit than us about this at the table, or not at the table, although in a way in our hearts, you know Meryl is fucking lit on working with Andrea Arnold. Oh, yeah. You know? And Andrea Arnold directing Meryl. Oh, like, yeah. Like, holy fuck. From one American honey to another. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, baby. It's going to be some American nice. money. Oh, oh, certainly will. Putting that... Okay, someone... Okay, I'm not saying it's a good pun. I'm saying someone's going to make that pun for season two of Big Little Lies. And be like, this is her American money because it's about the 1% in America. Nice. So I'm just saying... Nice. I don't even, wa- I don't even want it. I'm just saying someone's going to say that. Can't wait for that headline yes. in um, The Atlantic. <laughs> Maybe I'll be writing it. Wow. <laughs> okay, so... Um, what are we talking... Oh, what was your... You had no, a I'm just festive gonna, weekend. You I had, were in the desert as I, well. I was going to use that as a segue. Oh, I love segue. I was going to ride on a segue through my segue here, which I is I just want to talk about Angels in America a little bit more. Sure. All right. Real quick. I don't know what... I don't know what that is. I'm straight. So, Angels in America is the greatest play of all time. Wow. Shakespeare's... Shakespeare? Shakespeare. Somebody said Shakespeare. One too many... Anchor Steam. Anchor Steam, the official beer of Movies Mo. Did I just say Shakespeare? Yeah, the Shakespeare Festival. <laughs> anyway, Shakespeare's no, like, shaking. All due respect to the great playwright. He's not American, though. That's true. Fuck him. I'm, I'm saying in the world. Oh. Oh, wow. Definitely in the English language. I can't really speak to the plays of the on the world stage now. Quite as much. Oh, wait, no, hold on. 
Can I just? Yeah. I was doing Plainview, <laughs> but it's actually Lincoln. We're on the world stage now. Is he? <laughs> is your Lincoln from Liverpool? <laughs> no, no, that's how Lincoln sounds in the movie. Jennifer Lewis. We're on the world stage now. He sounds like Bob Dylan. Now, now, now. How now, brown cow? Stunning. Wow. Stunning. Thank you, um, Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Crook Lewis. Wow. Lewis. Lewis. Back to Angels in America. Anyway, what? Um, it's just... Um, I've seen the miniseries so many fucking times. As much as I've seen any movie... Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way that we, mm. like, put Fassbender miniseries, like, on movie lists, I would put Angels Or, like, in scenes from a Mirage. Yeah. I'd, oh. put, I'd put Angels in America yeah. in my, uh, my sight and sound top ten. Yeah. And I think it's Mike Nichols' best work. And I often think, thank God, that he was alive to do Angels in America in, mm-hmm. in the film. Um, anyway... Um, but are you saying that if it had been in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, I was, it I might am. not turn out to be the, ma- the master poisse it is. Mm-hmm. Master poisson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't going to see it because it's something that is I know so well. And it was like, am I really going to spend $200 to go see this thing that I basically have memorized? And then I was like, yes, I have to. Um, <laughs> you have to. And not to... Talk about my theater-going connoisseurship. Please. Please do. Um, Indulge us. I've been to Broadway openings. I've been to Broadway closings. All right. I've been to Hamilton. All right, enough. Jerking on the old banjo. (laughs) I have never experienced an audience like this. Never. And how, how, how? Like, How do you mean? Like, like Beyonce at Coachella cheering at the end of each act. Mm, Really? (laughs) Like... So deeply engaged. There is a moment where, this is not a spoiler, this is early on. He, Pryor's in like a, in his fever dream state where the ghosts of the other Pryor Walters are with him. And fake dream Lewis comes to him and they dance to Moon River. When Lewis comes up from the trap door in a tuxedo, the entire audience went, oh. Oh, <laughs> it was so. That's so nice. Beautiful. I love that's wonderful. That. I love it. It's like um, California voters in 2010 having the opportunity to vote Jerry Brown, our state's best governor, into the governor's mansion again. Uh-huh. At the end of every act, everyone yeah. is freaking out. Yeah. That's how California voters felt mm-hmm. reelecting our best governor to his third and fourth terms. And everyone loved all the jokes, and it just was. And the production is just. Stunning, Monique really Park, stunning, and it starts with like just like three little turntables uh-huh. with sets on them, and at this point you're just like, oh, this is great. You don't think, oh, this is nothing. This is just the beginning because it does it for two full acts in the middle of the third act. They move backwards in the middle of the scene, and then the whole thing is in front, and then it starts snowing, and then the back lifts <gasps> up, and the angel comes down from the ceiling. Wow. And then there's fire and pyrotechnics, and then the second part, which is a whole different play, is just like totally insane. It just, the production wow. is bigger and bigger and bigger. 
It, I always love... I'm going to book my flight to New York right yeah. now. I love that. What I love about the first like three parts of mm-hmm. the miniseries is that they're so much closer to a level of social realism. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, with the pioneer woman and everything. Mm. Just that, that moment when Emma Thompson... And of, like I said, there are breaks with reality, but ultimately we are in these apartments, yeah. in these city streets. When Emma Thompson bursts through the window at the end of Act 1... And that's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. From there on out, like, we're going to fucking Antarctica. Like, yeah. everything becomes, like, the lighting. We go to heaven. We go to heaven. We're, we're in the hospital, and that is a really weird dream space. Yeah, like, Emma Thompson rips off the corner of the hospital. I can't eat in, on the mic. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah, we're back to recording. We yeah. should stop yes, chewing. that's true. I chew on this show all the time. True. Um, the last thing I want to say about Angels in America, at the end of the first play, when... The angel descends. Mm-hmm. I've never felt the emotion that I felt when that happened before, and I couldn't tell you what it was. In your life? In my life. I've never felt that way before. Can it you is try to find a word? Moments. Like, find, like, the most baseline word that it aligns with. I mean, it was... Here's one. Wow. It was... <laughs> wow! It was... Ah! It was awesome <laughs> in the biblical sense. Like, and it conjured awe. It conjured... The awe of the heavens. Yes. And it's a it's a religious play, and it, it is. is a religious experience, to and it's watch a religious word, ah, and it is a religious word, and that's I just it took my breath away, and I didn't know what the angel looked like, and that I think helped that I didn't know like how it was gonna be rendered in this production, mm-hmm. and then she yells, "Greetings, prophet!" and I just was like, "Oh my god!" A squeal. Ah! Gonna go to delta.com and, and book my flight, a, and then they don't do a curtain. They don't do a curtain call. Until the second, the end of the second oh, part. Oh, okay, sure. But technically, it's a different play. So do some people only show up for Act 1, and then they catch Act 2 later they, at another time? Yeah, they, they default sell pairs of tickets. Did you have the same seats? Yes. Yeah. How many hours is it total? Eight. Eight hours? It starts at 1. You're done. We were done at about 4.45. It's there, like when I saw OJ Made in America. There are two 15-minute intermissions. So then, and then this part two starts at seven. So that was two fifteen of break where I went and drank a little, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then wow for like four more hours of theater. And then we were in. I mean, I didn't get drunk, I right? But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't had have a, had nothing. Had a Honestly, cocktail. though, like yeah, actually, after that explosive moment at the end of the first yeah. part, that's you need it. You need to, and then so it started at Lucy seven, or goosey and a little then bit. It ended. A little after eleven, so it was like it's a full day of the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, full day of theater. theater. I do wish that the break in the middle was the theater. Right. How yeah. long did you say it was? An hour? Two. Ooh, that's a little. But too it's just much. because that's the the theater schedule. You could watch three yeah. tall women in the in the interim. You could. Wow. 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 Well, we are thirty minutes into this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, I went camping this weekend. <laughs> The end. <laughs> oh, I read tell us a little bit more. Mm, I we really don't have time. I'll just all right. Bye. We really don't have time. But I will say that <laughs> sa- time for everything. Saturday was the most delirious afternoon of my life in the desert sun. And at a certain point, wow. my friend who I went with, we were so desperate for some type of shade because Water. in the desert, there yeah, it was very much like a for some type of shade. Yes. We were looking for, uh, like, a wall that would be throwing some, right? And, uh, yeah, it really you really understand the plight of the 
dehydrated, although we were drinking plenty of water, like the, de- the dehydrated. Did you have a camelback? No, I had three gallons of water. Um, just jugs? Yeah, jugs. And then a water ba- bottle. You put in a backpack? But two in a backpack, and I carried one two miles into the wilderness. You carried one. I carried one. And where, that, and that where was in the desert were you? Into the wild. Yes. Yeah. I, well, just were you? Because I don't. This, you, this was not directed by Sean, Sean Penn. Penn. Did you oh, have I to, meant the book? Did I you? Wasn't even oh, thinking sure. Of the movie. But yes, I was thinking of the movie, which did we didn't talk about in our 2007 episode. No, no, I didn't. But that's a great movie. But my shoulders, because I'm carrying like a 60 pound pack on my back in the desert. What do you got in your pack? I've got a tent, I got a sleeping bag, I've got food, I've got water. Wait. Oh shit, you were like you tented. You can't. I've got a bottle of wine. Yeah, I backpacked. And it's like we have to like watch I could never backpack in my life. I could. Oh, it's I so great. It's more it is <laughs> I, I guess same. I have like, only I'm done not it. saying I couldn't do it like I've tented before and I've done physical activities. I've but. only done it a small handful of times and this was the most rewarding. But it was also oh. the most difficult because of the desert heat. Where and were you? I was in Joshua Tree, but I was on the Did south. Did you go end of the to park. the tree? There's many trees. Have you? But been? like the tree, isn't there There's a tree? No, no. Isn't Joshua Tree a? The, isn't it the titular tree? There is a type of yucca plant called a Joshua Tree, and there are literally millions of them. Oh, I thought Joshua Tree was like a, a, a journey to a tree. No, but it is that sort. Of, wow. Like people go there to like. Get all spiritual and shit. Right. Um, pop some shrooms. Pop some shrooms, right. Uh, if we had done that, we probably would have died. Um, nice. In the heat. Yeah. In the heat. Uh, but so Saturday afternoon, so Saturday morning, so we wake up at like six, crack it on. We make our coffee. We make a little oatmeal. We clean up. And then we strap on our packs and hike six strap miles. In. To an strap oasis. Strap in. To, lean on Pete. To the, yes. We strapped on and we giddy that. Did you get hit by that fucking woman? Yeah, and it, she came out of nowhere, too. Like, we're in the middle of nowhere. I see, like, a giant mountain range on one side and nothing on the other. Charlie's just nowhere. yammering on. Yeah, I'm Charlie. I'm talking to my friend who's, like, the horse. Like, she's like, shut the fuck up. And I'm like, you know, my dreams are wrapped up in this silly thing we call life. And then a car fucking hit my friend out of nowhere. No. Just barrels down the trail. Wow. Anyway, so we got back from this hike. We're like, we're going to hang out in the shade of our tent. We're going to take a little three-hour power nap. We're going to wake up. We're going to go on another motherfucking hike. Three-hour power nap. Yeah, we had all day. That it was exhausting. Sweet. That's not a power nap. You have no cell service? No cell service. What if you, what if you like, broke your leg? If I broke my leg, we it's only two miles. You had 127 from, hours. Two miles it? from the car. Vicky broke her ankle, and she walked two miles. That's what I'm saying. The power of adrenaline. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. The, the power of needing to get to where you're going. And we saw the imitation game. Ooh. She thought that she... Huh? she I know, I could walk three miles with a broken ankle, but I couldn't watch the imitation game with like a cold. She Same. didn't know she was broken. She thought she just hurt herself. <laughs> watching we the imitation went, game. She watched all of imitation <laughs> game with a broken ankle? <laughs> what a She's the real hero. The lights came up They should have named the laptop game. after her. <laughs> she, she, we have to stop. <laughs> probably because she was so fed up with the fucking movie she started thinking about her fucking throbbing ankle She's like today we call it and a i broken felt ankle. so bad because i was flying back to new york the next day oh it was and it was so dramatic because she broke her foot god vicky what's his face who wrote that movie and won an oscar such an asshole mm-hmm. he did that he did that to vicky how dare 
Anyway, continue. What did you do when the heat Absolutely. Did you just key lock your lips? Mm-hmm. No one listening to this. No one secrets. listens to hear about camping stories. So I'm, I'm <laughs> arriving at the point where we were just going to like chill in the tent for a few hours, take a power nap, and then we were going to go back out. But it was so, it was like in the mid 90s and there's no shade in the fucking desert. Oh, I just thought you meant like the decade. No. I was like, did you time travel? So we had to like throw our sleeping bags on top of the tent to block out the sun. There's like six hour stretch where like time bent and contorted. And oh, so like, you did time travel. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we did. But anyway, the only cultural object in this whole story is that about halfway through the afternoon, we were like, we have to just get out of the tent and make some search for shade. Like also just to like get some fresh air. And so we found like a tiny ass sliver of shade in a desert wash, which is like, if you know what that is, it's basically like a hose below everything. <laughs> It's like a sandy bar beneath okay. everything. Like at a golf course. Sure. But it's it's like where... <laughs> you hung out in a sand trap. If it rained, wa- like water would rush through that. It's like where animals oh. go to chill. Okay. We found a tiny silver so shade. Pete popped And in. I read Bug by Tracy Letts in its entirety while I was losing my mind in the desert. How long of a play is it? It's not very long. Oh, I was like, how long were you sitting there? It, it took me like 40 minutes, I think. Oh. Um, and... If y'all know Bug, oh. it it is a it, there's a lot of questioning of sanity and which way is up, which way is down. I'm also having all these bugs landing on me, and I'm like swatting bugs while oh. I'm reading Bug, and I'm like, is it in my tooth? Like my tooth kind of hurts. Like it's it, what a crazy, moment, crazy. So that's oh. it. That's the only thing I'm going to tell. So, that's it. That's the story. That's the story. And then when I got back Sunday night, I went to the motion picture show. And I saw a film. Okay, shut up. <laughs> Here we are, 70 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> wow. And oh wow. my god, we're 35 minutes in. Like 10 of that is going to be cut, probably. Uh, cut like five. The whole thing. I'm going to cut the whole thing. Oh, I'll be so... <laughs> god, I'll be mad. Not that this was fire content, but like I'm, I've got an hour in me from from this point on. So don't. I, I so don't nothing. So you rest assured, this will all be in. Thank you for keeping my bullshit in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Um, this is movies IMO. <gasps> I'm Ben Empey. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. We are your favorite film faggots. Faguidos. Faggot. Faggot. A crunchy faggot. Mm. Faggot. Tuckians. What's wrong with me? Oh my god. There were no faggots in Tully. Uh, they were in the audience. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, uh. Well, there was a, a lesbian. Was a lesbian. A lesbian. Well, someone who we don't know. We don't want to define her. I would she define her as a lesbian. She's okay. fluid. Fluid yeah. sexuality. Fluidity. I love female sexuality. Any movie that deals with any ounce of female You're here for it. fluidity of sexuality. Of course the straight guy on the podcast loves female sexuality. Mm. Hell yeah. Give me those lesbians. Yeah. I'm straight. He feels it. He wants it. <laughs> His jimmies are rustled. Oh, I love the rustled jimmy. We're here to talk about Tully today. <laughs> Not to be confused with Sully. Not to be confused with Tully. I can't, I can't believe that the lead in Tully was Tom Hanks. You know, I was Can wasn't, you believe it was Tom was, Hanks in a wig? As I, Chesley 
Sullenberg. <laughs> is his name Chesley? Chesley. Is that right? Now, my favorite scene is when, Chester. He, was, when he was giving birth and Laura Linney wasn't in the delivery room. <laughs> she was on the, the speakerphone going, Chesley! <laughs> are you dilated? <laughs> Folly! Come home already! Come home, Chesley! Clutching a pillow. <laughs> that, like, says, Chesley. <laughs> Chesley, I have your body pillow on my body. (laughs) Come home. I feel close to you, Chesley. (laughs) I wish not Laura Linney would get an Oscar nomination for that role, but the phone. (laughs) (laughs) She's gripping it so hard. It went through so much physical abuse. You remember when the movie ends on Aaron Eckhart making a yuck yuck? And then everyone does. Do I ever? Slow fade out. On that, a two shot of them just looking <laughs> smug AF. Uh, uh, it's the best ending we beat in government all of cinema. Over regulation. So good. Um anyway. I'm Clint Eastwood so and this is the I talk to <laughs> The new collaboration between Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody. This is their third? Their third? Their third, yes. third collab. It's a bit of a... They would probably yell at anyone who said this, as Lucretia does about calling it the Salta trilogy, but mm. it's a bit of a trilogy. hunting oh, percent. Right? Wow. I think wow. a friend of the pod, Chris File, wrote that wow. first, so I'm not going to claim um, that. I'll look up what he said. Great. He called it a, tri- a trilogy. Great. About a woman... <laughs> Who ha- is having a baby, <laughs> and then she becomes a woman who has had a baby. And she's a mother. She already has two she children. She already has two children, and mm-hmm. she's married to Office Space. She is. Chris File says that they're an unimpeachable trilogy on empathy. There it is. Oh. We and love empathy. The riskiest, we do love empathy. This is Empathy IMO. What you think is a low-concept film turns out to be a very high-concept high concept film. film. So she has the baby. She's overworked and overstressed. And her brother, her rich brother, has offered will pay for a night nanny. And mention the brother, played by Mark Duplass, who looks exactly exactly like like Ron Livingston. Ron Livingston, (laughs) and they are standing next to each other at that party. You are like, which one is the husband and which is the brother? They knew that. They had to have known. And they They both look like Jason Reitman. Do you think it's all on purpose? I don't know. God, I hope so. Getting on the record now, I love the movie. I love the movie. So then she hires the night nanny, Mm -hmm. and they bond. The night nanny is named Tully, played by Revelation Mackenzie Davis. Davis. What do I know her from originally? Blade Runner 2049. Before that. The Oh, God, yes. Before. uh, What's the indie movie she was in? Before San Junipero. The Persona thing in the woods. It's Always Shine. Always Shine. Always Shine. Yes. Yes. Shine on me. That was my original introduction to her. I believe she is from Orange County. I think that that I think that I have friends who did community theater with her. Nice. I think. She's amazing. She's incredible. Except, okay, I don't know if any of y'all had this experience, but in the trailer, because the trailer is very short. I'm, I'm Tully. She just says, she just pops her head in and she says, I'm Tully. I'm here to take care of and you. And the way she says it, she sounded British to me. Oh, I didn't notice that. Am I insane? I mean, because then in the movie it starts and she she introduces herself. I'm Tully, and I'm like, oh, she's British. And well, I believe they talking. ADR all her dialogue, but kept the or, but kept the lines themselves the same, which to me felt like a weird choice when she says "jolly good governor" in an American accent. I thought it was a, I thought it was a choice. <gasps> but it was a choice. She sounds British to me. 
in the trailer. What can I do? Mind if I shine your shoes, Governor? Oh my God! I didn't. <laughs> I didn't notice in the trailer. I didn't notice either. I don't know. It just seemed like a. Well, geez. it is a. Ma- it is Mary Poppins. Is what? it? What? Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's the nanny that comes and saves. Yeah. It's Mary Poppins meets Fight Club. Yeah. I don't know. The trailer when she says, "I'm Tully," it just sounds like she's British. Anyway, that's not the point. Well, I'm Continue. not Tully. I'm Chully, if you ask me. I'm oh. Sully. Nice. Who are you, Ben? Tully? <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm Tully. <laughs> um, I don't know what else. So let's just let's just spoil the ending. Let's just talk. We want to talk about the ending? Or no? Yeah. We've already. We have to. We've already. <laughs> like, we have to. Alluded to it. So let's talk about that ending. So. Ben. Wait, can we like not actually. I don't. Wanna I want to back I up. I don't want to start with the ending. Okay. okay. I don't want to start with the ending. Can we talk about the. Can we start with the first mermaid dream? Yeah, sure. Because this is the first moment of this movie where i was like it's not gonna get five stars from me wow i hate it i hate the mermaid thing wow. really i hate it so much there, there what, are a what lot of... specifically do you hate about it I so stupid so what ben is talking about is that we see Charlize theron who plays lead character whose name is um marlo marlo thank you she has mer- dreams about mermaids mm-hmm. so do we find out sorry i'm jumping around but you do we find out in the twist I missed it. Her last name's Tully. Her middle name. Her is maiden Tully. name. N- oh, the I think n- her middle name is Tully. It's her. Because Ron. Lee- oh no no no! Yeah yeah yeah! You're right you're right you're right. It's maiden her, name. It's her maiden definitely name. her maiden name. Okay, because then like my audience like when he said the doctor said something and then Ron Livingston was like Tully, my entire audience was like oh oh, oh rumble rumble yeah because he said mystery maiden revealed. name maiden name Tully. <gasps> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Yes, same. The threesome was a match. Um, so Mm -hmm. yeah, she has this vision of a mermaid swimming in the water. Okay, Ben, what's wrong with the mermaid? It just it felt so tonally off from where we already were, and it didn't work for me. For me, it's Ben. That's Brandon. Excuse me, Bramble. (laughs) For me, it alluded to the movie leading to something. Mm-hmm. The first Breaking moment of reality, right? The first moment that happened, I was like, I didn't know the twist was going to be what it was, right? But I knew the third act was going to give us something, yeah. Breaking like a little bit of surrealism, a little. Mm-hmm. I knew something was coming, and I mm-hmm. sort of liked that indicator because without it, I feel like I would have become tired—not tired, but like wondering. Like, oh, my mind would have wandered. Like, where is this going? Yeah. But that, like, those weird mermaid moments kind of yeah. were like a like a signpost I, for me. I really liked the tonal shift, which is jarring in a way, but ends up being uh, totally successful for me. The tension between tired reality and these more fantastical leaps into fantasy. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this was an inspiration on the film at all, but I found myself thinking about our conversation last week about, I mean, we I, I briefly mentioned how Fellini starts in neorealism and then moves on to these more, you know, gaudy, body, mm-hmm. uh, explosive, imaginative, blah, 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 blah. And I think this movie kind of does a similar thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think that it's doing neorealism, but it is presenting sort of this humdrum, depressive look at... Uh, married life about being a mother uh, who's carrying all the emotional labor for the family who doesn't 
who doesn't recognize herself anymore, who has lost herself, mm-hmm. and just sort of like that quiet character drama mixed with these other elements, including the ending, which we'll get to, and then these dream sequences and the threesome, like where it does get a little more fantastical and uh, visuals and in tone. Uh, and I actually, there's something really lovely to me about meshing those two things together. It's unexpected. Um, but we like we all in our own heads have those types of uh, uh, those flights of fancy, like mm-hmm. just like those, and, and uh, or just like um, we all have our own motifs as well in our dreams, right? And she's allowed to have mermaids, yeah. And if we're, her, and if we're going to yeah. visually express her dreams on screen, it's a fucking mermaid, you know? It like you can't felt... make that look anything but fantastical. Yeah, felt very Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, what was Felt I very say? Asia O'Hara. Oh, hello. Um, the 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 time where it was like too much for me was when the, she was like watching the, the the clip from like a Met Gala theme or yeah. something. Not a Met Gala, but it was on some, a reality show. Some reality show. They were like, like the I theme is mermaids. Yeah, and I was like, okay, that is a bridge I, too far. That that I didn't love either. That though. pushed it too far. It's like okay. Something in the plot later on is going to involve water, which is exactly what happened. Although you have to say, I mean, we Drag Race just had a mermaid theme last week. Like it is something that happens. It's the power of the influence I know of that, like, shape of water on the page really and then on the screen. It, it just feels a little too uh, writerly. It yeah. feels a little too much like a script device. But yeah. it, you to this is to its detriment, but you know it's a motif mm-hmm. because it's repeated way too many times right off the bat. Isn't it repeated? A third time outside the dream, not on the reality show. It's like again, like she like. Well, at the know. end, when Tully is the mermaid who rescues her from the sinking car. But isn't there an, an earlier like the daughter does something mermaid or something? Uh, I maybe know. I don't remember. I feel like there is a mermaid like sticker on her like, face on the poster. Yeah, that is true. I'm looking at that right now. Also, speaking of writerly things, when her old roommate is in her town, Did, that didn't work for me, and that was so annoying. For that me. didn't work for me. I hated it. I didn't hate well, it. It just was a swing and a miss for me. Roommate or lover? Both. Or both? Both. I I mean, so that didn't work because, well, I thought it was good. What the hell is she doing there? And also, it just feels so like, okay, so we're setting something yes, up for later. It's this very, very act one. There's a lot of just like, all right, this is going to pay off later for me. And like, obviously. Yeah, right. It's very act one. It is. But I, th- I thought it, I thought it. With, it still works with, for me with, because it's so warm and rich with human emotion (laughs) without that we would have had no idea that she had this past life yeah i think yeah i just don't but think 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 about a movie like young adult which i know we'll talk about but like somehow yeah there is a different way to do it are able to make an email with a image attachment on it seem compelling in the frame Mm -hmm. something that kind of seems impossible to do as a filmmaker especially in 2011 before like screens have dominated a lot of american mainstream movies Mm -hmm. and that right reitman later did terribly in men women and children right i enjoy that movie oh i'm looking forward to that conversation (laughs) um but starring timothy chalamet correct oh come on d bring this back bring this back oh so it could, my point is, is like, it's not like it, they even needed to meet in person. Like we've seen that Reitman and Cody can set something up in a boring way that ends up totally working on the screen. Like an yeah. email, the least dramatic um, device you could possibly use for something like this. For, it for like a voice me. from the past. I don't know. Just like, what the fuck is she doing there? Yeah. 
It didn't bother me because otherwise we never would have seen her. But we could have done it better. It could have been done differently and yeah. better. Yeah. It's just and like, oh, those are the fancy seeing you here. Yeah, it is very <laughs> fancy seeing you here. And by the way, the, I'm glad that you brought these two things up off the bat because those are really my only problems with the movie. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's. But unfortunately, that shit is just so. I mean, not so much the mermaids for me. The overuse of the mermaids more, and then this very script device uh introduction with the former roommate and former lover like those hold it back to me because the rest of the movie does feel so true Mm -hmm. which we'll i'm sure we'll talk about as we go on here and then those just snap me out of it that reminds me that i'm watching a movie and not in a good way like we were talking about last week with the um chloe Zhao of it all Mm -hmm. the chloe Zhao of it all what were your other problems ben three star mp um well, if I'm going to get into them, do then I need to, do to talk about no. young adult. <laughs> and I don't think we're ready to talk yeah. about young adult. Well, I just don't want to, like... Talk about what? Young oh, young adult. adult. Yeah. Even though Ben liked it the least, I believe we all gave it a heart on Letterboxd. We so, all like, enjoyed it. This is a movie that we all like, so... It's an enjoyable Let's experience. actually, like, talk about what we liked about the movie now, rather than... Like, this isn't Lean on Pete. We can, we can cheer up. I'm not going to shit on it. No! no. Um, I'd, absolutely not. I mean, I... I don't know about you guys, but I... It, this was... Uh, uh, the type of movie where I was tearing up throughout for no reason. What? Like I was having I just a conversation with a buddy last night, and he said something that I actually hadn't heard someone like put into words, but I think we all know it to be true. Which is that like you really know a movie is working emotionally when you start crying in a scene that really is not asking for your tears. Mm-hmm. That's what was happening to exactly. me. Exactly. Multiple times. And I think it was a scene just involving like one of the kids or something and it was just i knew the movie was having an effect on me mm-hmm. just in because a lot of like the second act is just like pretty maybe it's the first before before tully shows so the first act before tully shows up it's pretty innocuous you're just like watching it's so lonely you're just watching her life mm-hmm. and it's just i don't know and then you get that like burst of energy when tully's introduced and then it lulls you into that relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that just like really like puts you in a space. I agree. I think that it does a really great job of sneaking you into different tones. And yeah. it's not until Mackenzie Davis is on top of um, not Mark Duplass that oh, you realize nice. like, holy, holy shit. Like she just, they just brought us to this point in mm-hmm. a way that did not feel at all forced to me anyway like it's and something Diablo Cody does really well and I think most strongly in young adult is that she's able to put you on a character's journey that most films you would be too distracted by the red flags of this character or the situation the the the, the tone the tone would get too tricky the material would be too off-putting the actions are too spiky or unbelievable and yet in her writing she has a way of really milking the humanity out of these characters who generally would be like in the garbage heap of studio films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, which is all to say like, yes, like once Tully arises is shocked at the system and then we end up going in completely unexpected territory with this character. And you don't even realize until you find out she wasn't actually there that you've just watched a fight club <laughs> type scenario. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit off mic, but I think all three of us, I know, Daniel, You, tur- me and you turned on the movie at the moment the twist happened, mm-hmm. but then... And then once you started thinking about, like, 
oh, that means she's been having a conversation with herself. She's been getting in touch with her young self and herself now. And all the themes about, like, the idea of if you take a ship and you change a board out of the ship every single day until the point where there's no original mm. material in the ship, is it the same ship? Mm-hmm. That's what the whole movie is in dialogue yeah. mm-hmm. with. The conversations and, so, take a whole yeah. different meaning now. So I was saying before we got on the mic, and as Brennan just said, when it was revealed that Tully wasn't actually there, I totally, I turned on the movie in a second. I, w- I thought it was a cheap trick. And I didn't want to surrender to it. And then once I started thinking about the implications, I realized it's one of my favorite tricks that I have, that has happened to me in a in a mainstream, for lack of a better word, film American film in a long time. It's yeah. very satisfying. And then I spent the rest of the movie just like she did that, and I didn't realize I was watching this kind of movie until now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be thinking about this for the What's next. What's so two interesting days. is like when I, when you watch the trailer for the movie, it's purposely not revealing mm-hmm. at all because you because you think like hi i'm tully and it's like what's gonna happen why doesn't the trailer show you more and it's just so unexpected that like that's what this movie ended up mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. and i think it's so special that that is what it ended up being yeah and it's 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 about i mean both this and young adult are very much about depression different types of depression totally but i just I just love both of them so much. I like that wanna... um, she goes out, she takes her sangria, she goes and sits in the hot tub alone. Sans water. And then she's like, I'm going to go fuck my husband in this yeah. waitress costume. Yes. That's what happens IRL. Exactly. Right. It's you, great. It forces you to rethink. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 the twist automatically turns it into a movie that you have to see twice. Like I'm upset I wasn't able to see it again. Well, it's before just like you. The reason why I didn't like the twist initially is because every time you find that a character wasn't actually in the film, that one person was basically talking to themselves, it becomes a film about mental illness in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And obviously, mental illness is not an issue that would be a stranger in a Diablo Cody script. And there's certainly some mental illness in this movie, but. And even more in young adult. And but, dissociative states in United States of Terror. She big made a time. whole show about big it. Big time. Oh fuck. And That's so right. I was it was frustrating to me because rather than it actually being about a woman completing her broken self or uh, rather than being about a, mo- a movie about a woman who is more broken than we thought she was, it ends up being about a woman who has repaired her broken pieces. Mm-hmm. And that just took my breath away. Thank you for keeping me alive. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Um, and, and you know the, the scenes between them already have such a dynamic chemistry, and I love intergenerational sisterhood in the movies, and I, I just think there's a lot of really smart observations. About- yeah, what I really liked is just I kept thinking because it's Diablo Cody, and she's gonna go to the the uncomfortable places mm-hmm. that we were gonna get to some like cliche uncomfortable places, like I don't know, like secretly office space is having an affair with tully or something oh my god that's the guy from office space i've called him office space four times i didn't Did get realize it. this i didn't get it until now oh it's the god. only thing i know him from you don't know him from sorry keep going uh, anyway yes and just there were other places where i was like this setup could veer into cliche territory, and then it doesn't. She's an invader. She's come in to steal the husband and steal mm-hmm. the kids. When she's taking care of the baby, it's like, is she going to eventually bond more mm-hmm. than Charlize? Yeah. And that, like, and I'm sure that with those actors and with Cody doing it, 
if it was that movie, it would at least be watchable. Mm-hmm. But it's actually really smart because Cody knows enough, I think, about genre cinema. Um, I mean, she's just like, I don't know, especially like Jennifer's body. Like, she knows how to play with those types of conventions. She knows that you as a viewer, and like, there's a reason why reality TV pops up in her in her um, in her movies. Like mm-hmm. the idea of the sort of uh, tacky expected drama that's going to come up and veer in in, in stupid directions. Mm-hmm. Like she, I think that she is setting you up to think it's a little bit of like a single white female thing, or that yeah. she's an interloper in her life, and that eventually they're going to have some sort of knife. When fight. Tully is late. And that, or she just starts eating the food in the fridge. Right. You think we are setting her up to be not as good at the job as we thought. Yeah. Right. And it's a, it's an, it's not, it's a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. It is. It's great. That was my favorite thing about the movie is the bait and switch aspect of it. Aspect of it. Yeah. And then like it goes, and when you're, it goes from being this sort of tricky territory of, is she going to go into that hacky place to, she is re- like the reason why Tully becomes more comfortable in the home is because she is reconciling her identity as a younger woman and her. I hate to say predicament. That's a terrible way of saying it, but the problems that she's facing now, like Tully, grows more comfortable in the home because she is piecing herself back together, yeah. and there is less daylight between these mm-hmm. uh, versions of herself, and then it becomes something really beautiful. Yeah. And, like, it could have also gone the place of, like, once you realize that they are the same person or she's her younger self, like, Tully being, like, disappointed with, like, what Marlo's done with her life. Like, oh, you're boring now. You just settled down, had kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the cool wild child we used to be? But that's it's not, that's not the message at all. No. She's actually, like, Marlo should be, it, it, it gave Marlo appreciation for what she has done with her life because yeah. Tully is so impressed by it. Yeah. Like that whole moment where they go to the bar and they go yeah. on the bikes, like that moment where she's like, you should be proud of what you've, and you've created yeah. stability, which is the thing that you never had growing up. Right. And which is what we all want in some way, shape or form mm-hmm. is stability. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if we want an unpredictable life, we want to know that. That our know. basic needs are met. Exactly. Shelter, food, water, mm-hmm. a fuck. Although she doesn't really have that in the movie. But she gets it back. She gets she it does. back. She reclaims it through a waitress costume. Did you costume. notice that uh, Office Space has always got his headphones on? And then the last shot of the movie is he takes one of her headphones and he puts it Oh, no, but that's wonderful. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't connect that. that. I, wondered, I wondered the significance of that last shot, so I'm glad you brought that up. But I was also like, they're doing that while they do the dishes. Like, yeah. That's going to end poorly. I didn't, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> They're going to get electrocuted. Yeah. <laughs> no, but because I she didn't... loves herself, you know, she can love anybody else. Yeah, Cause, exactly. Because then she she brings it up to Tully earlier, like, oh, we enjoy doing the dishes together, right? Or something? Maybe. Like, that's like our time together. Or we make the lunches together. We make the lunches together. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And, you know, I will say the last shot wasn't my favorite thing. I thought it was cute. It's cute, but it's, it feels a little, like, too much of a ribbon tie. It felt a little too close to the of Juno for me, like, in, when they're playing guitar on the front mm. steps. But I really do think that it's a triumphant moment for Marlo because, like I said, like, because she has learned to embrace herself, mm-hmm. she is able to 
yeah it feels like the others around her makes it like this is a movie about their marriage and not a movie about her soul you know what I mean? yeah i think that's fair i think that's fair that's i mean i think i'd rather have i think i'd rather have it end on a solitary moment but Mm -hmm. she is so frustrated by her lack of connection to the world around her yeah that's one of the things that marlo wants Mm -hmm. you know to not have as combative a relationship with the people around her and the world around her as she Mm -hmm. does in the beginning of the film yeah i almost would have preferred it to end like two minutes earlier to bring it like perfectly full circle when the son oh, decides the I don't need to be brushed I anymore. Love that and I was that would like, have totally bridged to begin. That would have yeah, and I was like, oh please end here. And then they had that one final scene. Yeah. I really love the way that Charlize Theron plays the relationship with Jonah, the maybe autistic special needs child. Um just that push the scenes in the and car. Pull. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. The push and pull <gasps> between frustration um unconditional love how she should behave as a mom and how she wants to behave as a person Mm -hmm. and the fact that she blurs those lines and then you can see the regret on her face in the next scenes Mm -hmm. it's i mean let's talk about Charlize now because i don't i know that i'm not this is not a consensus opinion but I do think Charlize Theron is one of the best actresses of her generation. Not in a Meryl Streep way, but she does... I mean, but it, not everyone has to be a chameleon. Like, not everyone has to be Glinda Jackson or Ingrid Bergman, mm-hmm. like, to be one of the great actresses. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, who I would compare her to, but while I soak on that, like, if you just look, like, between Monster, Mad Max Fury Road, Young Adult... Arrested Development, and then Tully. And then you can pull others as well. I mean, she's got another Oscar nomination that I didn't even pull there. Like, I think that she... Wait, what was her other she, Oscar she actually, nomination? North Country. North she actually... Oh, right. I actually do think she's a chameleonic actress. So I take back what I said about differentiating her between Meryl. She doesn't have to be a chameleon. I think she is. Yeah, I was going to say, I think she is yeah. too. I mean, just look at... I mean, just the reason, one example, Mad Max. Yeah, but I guess there's the reason why... And Monster, of course... And Arrested Development. The reason why um, I sort of pulled or, or put up a wall there is because I think Charlize does have this sort of star attitude that she brings to everything. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as defined as, like, you know, Catherine Hepburn and Betty Davis were the bitch, you know. Like, um, it's not that, but of course we're not, we don't exist in that same sort of right. star system. Anyway, I think she's fucking brilliant in general. Yeah. Oh, Atomic Blonde? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. I loved Atomic Blonde. Oh, oh, you missed so it? so good. I wasn't going to see it. It's not <laughs> oh, that it's I missed oh, it. You missed it? <laughs> my, oh. my, my same friend who I uh, mentioned the thing about crying last night, he was telling me a story about how um, he wanted to go see Stalker at a repertory theater in L.A. last summer and like kept waiting because I think it was booked for like four or five nights like mm-hmm. kept waiting and waiting and waiting and then he got to the last show time and he's like I don't want to drive to Fairfax Village I'm just going to go see Atomic Blonde and there's a moment in Atomic Blonde when Charlize walks you know because it takes place in the Soviet Union mm-hmm. she walks out of a movie theater that is playing Stalker and he was like he's like I've never oh, felt yeah. such regret in my life like oh, he, yeah. he's, he's like why he's like I should have gone to see Stalker. I forgot about that part. Yeah, That's nice. so funny. Yeah. Um, no, I I agree. I know I know Ben thinks differently, but this side I don't of- have a problem <laughs> with her. 
<laughs> I I just don't have anything to say about her. I I love her. I really do like. She her commits a lot. to the bit. She yeah. commits to the motherfucking bit. I mean, I think I think Tully's one of her best. I do too. I mean, not as good. Young adults like that's uh, that's like Travis and, Bickle. That's <laughs> so I'm fucking concerned. good. But like this this she brings the movies like young adults fucking like scalding and like it's spiky. a fucking like spiky ass movie yeah. but tully is so tender generous it's so tender mm-hmm. it's it's jason reitman and diablo cody and charlie that trio of people well, they've only had two but no but but it's just jason just let's just all three of them are doing their best well two of them are doing their best work in those two movies and then with charlize this is one of her best performances yeah. so she's excelling too i mean it's definitely jason reitman's most tender movie Oh, yeah. I mean, thanks to... Having not seen Labor Day. You know, that's some well, very sensual pie-making. Who's, who's seen that movie? I um, almost watched it instead of Knocked Up, because I actually don't have anything to say about that movie. About Knocked Up? I mean, we can talk about it later if we want to. You have nothing to say about Knocked Up? I, I don't think it has anything to do with Tully. Ultimately. Yeah, it was a weird choice. Yeah. But it there's a... We just... Well, we didn't know what Tully was about. That, I'm not saying we made a mistake. No, I'm not yelling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yelling. I'm Lewis. <laughs> Let's let's stay on this topic. Though. This is a good topic. Um, I forget what I was saying. Jason Reitman. We're talking about we talk the Holy about, Trinity. Should we talk about Jason Reitman? I want to talk about Diablo Cody, Jason Reitman, and Charlize a little bit first because I think yeah. that their work together is more interesting than Jason's on his own. Let's. Back I also up think to... that Jason Reitman's only great films are with Diablo Cody scripting them. So well, I could get behind that. I know Brandon loves Up in the Air. I like Up in the Air a lot. We, I like it a lot more than Can we have ben. an Up in the Air sidebar? Sure. I need... I Okay. I remember... Let's have an upper. On previous podcast episodes, you said 2009, Up in the Air would be on your top 10. Did something change? I don't think I've said that. I might have said that. I don't remember. I liked I it a lot when it came out. So it doesn't hold up for either of you? Here's I didn't my, like it that Here's much my thing about out. Jason oh, really? Reitman. Jason Reitman is a totally competent filmmaker. You can tell that he is a student of cinema, and he probably has really good taste. Or or at least I think he watches a lot of things. Mm-hmm. He does te- take technique into account in a way, like, especially with editing. Like, you know, in mm-hmm. Up in the Air, there's the montage of the packing and, mm-hmm. and going through the airport. The whole, like, first and then in, and 10 then in, minutes and of And then in movie. Tully, there's, at first, I wanted <gasps> to romance, but I thought it was pretty masterful, actually, of just this idea of how all of her days are blending together. She's mm-hmm. pumping, she's dumping, oh she's my taking God. care I'm of the baby. I'm so glad you're bringing that scene up. Yeah. It, I it, forgot like about it. a bunch of, like, very quick cuts. It's all very rhythmic. Like, mm-hmm. anyway, I... There's a moment up in the air when he goes home and then the movie is off of the tripod. We're off the sticks and it's all handheld all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And I remember after I sat with my dad, because it was after my first semester of film school, he was like, tell me something about the movie, like using your education. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, it's really easy. Like Reitman is trying to grab a more natural intimacy between his characters and up in the air once he once Ryan goes home and he uses a handheld car- camera to do it. Everything else is so sleek and so suave because that's who Ryan wants to be, but then when he's home and everything's laid bare, it all becomes messy and naturalistic and uh, much more human. Therefore, we lose the gauze of the camera and it, we move to uh, handheld. Mm-hmm. But isn't that a little obvious? Mm-hmm. Like, it's all a little obvious. Everything is a little obvious. As a stylist, Jason Reitman, uh, you can feel... The intent too much. Here's here's my thing with Jason Reitman. All right, Brandon, you still get to rebut. You do. Thank the, you. 
the performances when we are at the end of a character's arc are stunning. Stunning. In every one of He's an actor's director. When we are in the part of the movie where they are not fully formed human beings yet, it I don't see them as people. Do you know what I mean? I, I know doesn't, you, the acting is so arch, it doesn't work for me. I know yeah, what you mean like in very, Up in the Air. It's like this very traditional, like, classic Alfred Hitchcock thing of they start as personalities and they become people by right. the end of the movie. Right. But, like, in an Alfred Hitchcock movie, I, I know who these people are already at the beginning. And I don't, like, Jason Reitman just, it's, it's like cardboard cutouts of See, for me... People. It's like the Melanie Linsky <laughs> cardboard cutout. Let, Brandon, let me quickly, and then I'm going to throw it to you for as long as you need. But I disagree I with that a little rebut. bit, because I think that where Reitman is a little stylistically obvious, I think he shows his hand, I think he's very smart with the little details he uses to introduce us to his characters. And I do think... and I mean, I just mean in performance. Oh, I mean, I think he gets it from the performances. I think that there is... I like... Where I don't like the camera and up in the air going from slick to shaky, mm-hmm. I do like that quality in the performances. Anyway. The slickness Brandon. of the performances doesn't work for me in his uh, movies. Um, I don't think that's a problem in Tully, by the way. What am I defending up in the air? Just Reitman, I guess. And it <sighs> offends me that he's making a movie in, in 2009 about the people firing people. And we don't... That no no no, but that's a commentary on. I know, but it offends me. I don't want to watch this movie about this man. I just don't. Oh uh, oh. Well, I just, see what you're saying. I just don't want to watch we the movie just about let, him. Can we just let Brandon talk, please? Sure. I I see what you're saying. You don't want to watch the movie about the oh the poor sap who's firing people. Yeah, and, it's oh when, he's it's been in, he's been in the plane and he's sad. Poor man. I, I totally Poor get that. Poor guy in his loneliness. I totally get that angle. It's like rich white people problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even interested in what Ben the, is saying. I the, only want to hear what Brandon <laughs> likes about the movie. Jesus. The, the one thing, my Calm one down. rebuttal to... <laughs> the one, my one rebuttal to that is the, the, is the interviews with the real people yeah, who... Yeah, that just makes it more offensive to me that he includes that. Does it really? Mm-hmm. Huh, well, I think... I think it's his, you know, his Hollywood way of, like, addressing that Jason Reitman doesn't think he benefited from nepotism, and that's how I feel about him, is all wrapped up in that sentence. Yeah, I mean... He's said, he's said on camera, shut my dad and let Brandon to me. No! I want to hear, I want to hear this. What has he said? He's said, my dad didn't help me. Oh my god. It's ridiculous. He's fucking right. He believes it in his heart. Yeah, I mean that's the kind. All right, of, well, that's, I'm not, that's I'm not defending of, Jason Reitman as a person. I want to defend his that's filmmaking. Type, that's which the type I of confidence you can only get as a cis straight white man with privilege, mm-hmm. or not not privilege with access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I like most about Up in the Air actually is the female characters. Hmm. I think they are Anna Kendrick is great. Anna Kendrick is so the trio of Oscar nominated performances in that mm-hmm. movie. Are so fucking good. I mm-hmm. think the writing's really smart. The first twenty minutes of that movie, I like forgot about the slick editing. I forgot about how how that movie fucking moves. I don't know. I think it does have a commentary about like the depression and blah blah blah. Like it does have a commentary. Whether I mean, it's very it doesn't. I'm no. just saying I don't care. I mean, I I don't know. I just have such love for this movie. It's it's 
it's probably mostly nostalgia. Like, it was my, like, number one movie of 2009 mm-hmm. when I was a child. But um, re-watching it, it, it held up. Like, when they go to these cities, like, when they go to Detroit. I mean, that was my log. When they go to Detroit. Can you remind it just, me what happens then, Detroit? In Detroit, they end up doing the first trial of the computer, like, uh, webcam mm-hmm. firing system mm-hmm. they're using. Mm-hmm. But the guy is in another room, mm-hmm. and it's revealed when they're... So Anna Kendrick does it, mm-hmm. and she starts firing this older man, and he just starts weeping. But before he starts weeping, he says, what the fuck is this? And he says it really loud, and then it's the reveal where you see that he's just in another mm-hmm. room. And you see over, like, fogged glass, you can see his head. Mm-hmm. Um... And then he starts weeping, and it's just a really emotional. It's really, it's like because because yeah. also the moment, when the, all these places are going to, that's also when Detroit was getting hit the hardest. Like it, it like the automotive company mm-hmm. in two thousand eight was like from a Michigander. Yeah, like it was in the fucking shitter. Right. So the fact that they explicitly go to Detroit and like go to an automotive company, like it's just very like they were trying to make a point, and I think it, I think it works, I, and. I don't know. I I just love Anna Kendrick. And I love... It's a movie I, that really cares about its characters. I do love when it goes to the wedding. And I think the handheld moment... Uh, when It, it goes works. To, I'm just saying it's a little obvious. It is. It's. I'll say it's very obvious. But it, it wins me over. Just because it feels like... It's like a home... It becomes a home video, yeah. basically. And when Ryan goes to Chicago... And that shot... Where she answers the door mm. and her the fucking look on her face. Mm-hmm. And in the frame, you just see the kids run up the stairs and you hear who's at the door and you don't even see the guy's face. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I think uh, that Vera so many Farmiga moments. She's the says, best performance in the movie. It's just somebody who's lost. Yeah. The says. movie is very on the nose. The name mm. of the movie is up in the air. Mm-hmm. It's about people's careers right. who are now up in the air. The movie but is, it is very of, obvious. But it is, it is kind of one of those. It, it is a. It's like in that Preston Sturgis, like early Billy Wilder mode. Like mm-hmm. it is obvious, it's but it's supposed movie. to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a studio movie. It's a it's a structured movie. Mm-hmm. Like by which I mean it's formulaic, but it has such an affection and care for its characters, and the relationships are sketched so vividly, um, and 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 everyone just wears their heart on their sleeve. Like mm-hmm. on that level, like reminds me a lot of The Apartment, which is also mm-hmm. a movie that is focused on a shifting corporate culture in its mm-hmm. own way. I want to get back to Ben's problem with the movie and then Brennan's defense of it, and I'll try and tie in Knocked Up, <laughs> the movie that was homework that now I don't really know what to say. So, Knocked Up. Oh, Knocked Up. Knocked Up. In Another movie I love. Knock, so I, I logged this, but Knocked Up actually reminds me a lot about The Wolf of Wall Street mm-hmm. and that we are subjected to a frank depiction of a certain type of toxic masculinity. And we are supposed to like sort of revel in that fun. We're supposed to have a seat on the couch and take a bong hit with these guys. And then as the movie goes on where it's not like Wolf of Wall Street, it has this redemptive angle where we learn the film is actually sort of a critique on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And our lead character leaves that life Mm -hmm. Um, up in the air. I think, Everything leading up to that Detroit moment, and I'm glad you brought that up because now now the whole movie... I didn't have time to rewatch it before this. Like, the whole movie is coming back to me now. Like, 
I think that it that we are we're supposed to like be we we can like know what Ryan's doing is wrong, mm-hmm. but we're supposed to be like along for the ride. Yeah. And then when that happens, that's the moment when we realize that's the moment that we realize that like even though the movie might be taking the wrong angle on the recession, like the guy whose job it is to fire people, boo-hoo. Like that's the moment when we are supposed to have the reaction where, oh yeah, boo fucking who. Like, your problems are nothing. Yeah. So ultimately, I don't think that the movie thinks Ryan's problems are more important or even on the same level as the people who are losing their jobs. Um, I don't know if that's true because it really, like, you're... I mean, Ryan's a, a classical hero. I'm not saying he's the villain. I'm just saying that, like, we have a moment when we realize his problems really aren't, don't have the same stakes. But it doesn't end with that. No, I mean, the, but the, he kind of, like, leaves that whole profession, doesn't he? No. Yeah, but he's he's not... It's not because he feels bad about firing people. Ryan... No, I don't, he keeps... I don't know. It's been a long time since all the... Ryan time, keeps so doing the job. Yeah. Mm. Like, he... Didn't that... I mean, that's He kinda... goes back up in the air at the end of the movie. He doesn't oh, really... Oh, right, because we see the, uh, the title of mm-hmm. whatever city he's going to, right? He... That's just so interesting... I mean, you're you're. It's very you not liking is making me think more critically about it. Like he doesn't. No, he doesn't really learn. That's fine. Anything which which I young adult which I think is young adult which I think I think it works. But I mean, yeah, he goes back to firing people. I think that. But I think think that because uses the financial crisis as a a vehicle for his his personal. I think because Clooney is so goddamn charming. I think that you are thinking that the film is completely on his side and all of this. And I think that there no, is I'm probably sort of a that. bitter critique to that character returning to the job. And, and the same thing with young adults. No, it's definitely. Like, it takes a long-ass time to change. We end yeah. up just making the same mistakes again and again and again. But I but I think I'm sort of like taking half your point and then going in a direction. And I'll, the other half is that why do we have to use the recession as this platform for mm-hmm. these white man problems yeah i mean it is I, definitely I white that. man problems i get that i think that reitman has his heart in the right place but that doesn't mm-hmm. make the film successful mm-hmm. but i don't i can't hate it i don't i don't think it's so tone deaf to a level where it becomes unforgivable i do think that and, and i haven't seen this movie in a while so i'm I, honestly if i was to rewatch it now i'm guessing i would land more with ben but going off of my impression of the film from the last time i saw it i think that it's more of a Double than a home run. To use the first ever sports metaphor on this podcast. Nice. We we need to talk about raising Arizona is what we need to talk about. I mean, does that even apply? Nothing that we actually watched applies. We should <laughs> watch the mental illness movies. It's like that's true. We, yeah, that's what you get for assigning homework before knowing we that actually know what the movie. The movie is such a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is about being a mother, and it's it about is. the challenges of bearing it, other other lives on your shoulders and that you're asked to sort of swap out your own identity for theirs even if you know you have their blood and their cells in you for however many years oh my god when tali says that i'm like oh my god well i think that's beautiful she is you there's a this there's a shot that they're using like on movie pass and maybe on letterbox and i know it's in the trailer when charlie's is on the couch Uh and the two kids are Behind the sort of uh, translucent curtains, yeah. or sort of like more I wish of like that a scrim shot... was longer. Yeah, but they're they're like pitter pattering with their hands all over. The it. Shot of rat capture. 
It's like rat catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. 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 But that's a shot. Water. That's a shot to me that like in the trailer and in the promo materials, I'm like, is this Reitman being a little obvious again? <laughs> and like trying to do something stylish. You know, like these kids are just like not leaving her alone. And like it's hard to be a mom because everybody's on your case. But it ends up being to me much more beautiful than that. Like in a way, they are her shadow selves. Like they are just as much a part of her as Tully is. And so when Tully enters through the door and comes back into her life, it's it reminds me a lot of those kids' silhouettes like pushing against the curtain. Like the curtain is sort of like time, it's it's identity, it's whatever. Like and the kids like by pressing up against her, doing what Tully's going to do, since they are also extensions of her. As mm-hmm. we as we get that concept about how their cells are in her, mm-hmm. they're these different versions of herself. Like it sets up this idea that different versions of herself are going to eventually knock down that curtain mm-hmm. and push through that sort of barrier of time and space and physicality and yeah, the soul, the soul, the soul. Did did either of y'all think the car crash was just like a just like a hair too aggressive i i got a little upset in the theater not in a bad way but when it became clear she was gonna fall asleep at the wheel i was clutching my recliner but like did it need to fall off the bridge and land upside down well it does to complete the mermaid thing oh it literally needs to go in the water yeah she she has to be rescued by herself all right i rescind Mm -hmm. i love this movie i have no complaints she she (laughs) is the uh the uh, creature she admires so much in her own dream. That's her. She saves herself. Let's talk about... The reason I can't oh. fully embrace this movie... <laughs> Fine. Why? Because Daniel started to bring it up. I just think... And I'm going to bring it up in relation to Young Adult, which I think is so mm-hmm. wonderful in almost every way. But... Uh, I don't... It's Tully just feels so broad to me. Like, oh, Interesting. Mother, so hard. It's very specific to me. She, oh, she was a lit major, and she she knows these things, and then she got into HR, and I'm just like, like I don't. It's just like a well worn territory. But the movie is mm-hmm. the movie isn't the movie is more about saying none of that matters. It's about like she's that's not how she should be defining herself. So I don't think the movie is defining her that way. That's one of the lessons she gets from Tully is that she should be quite happy with where her life went and that um and that that stability is something that she yeah. achieved that she was I don't know, it just doesn't feel I don't know, young adult is such a specific character set. That's me. I see what you're well, saying. They, young, it's a, it's, a, it's a, I mean Tully And it's a much more specific pain to me. It's much more it is it is subjective in in the truest sense. You are not seeing the story through anyone's eyes but hers. Mm-hmm. And Tully, of course, is also quite a subjective portrait of a woman. But we're also not mothers. Yeah. That's very true. Putting this yeah, on the record, we are men yeah. who are not mothers. So maybe, like, we are men who, we are gay men who we're experience. Gay, cis, white men who are not mothers. We. I'm not saying that motherhood isn't an important topic for cinema. No, I know, I know. But, like, relatability, at least. But that's not also not what you're saying. You're talking no. about the, I th- I the think specificity that, I think that it. young adult is trying to get us lost in, this to- in the toxic brain of this character more than Tully is trying to get us into the depressive state of its main character. Mm-hmm. I think that once Tully comes along, she is far too bright of an interference for the movie to have as sour a point of view mm-hmm. as young adult is trying to achieve and does... And then some. So I, I don't. I would. 
I think that they both are very specific portraits of women dealing with uh, crises of identity, of the past and present. But I think Young Adult is going for something a lot more... um, it, it, it is really trying to shut out all other voices, but mm-hmm. the one of its main character. Mm-hmm. And Tully is more about her trying to connect with herself and then connect with everyone else around her. Yeah. In a way, I think Young Adult is... It's, it's a bolder movie because of the mindset it forces yeah. viewer into. Yeah. You're forced think- to relate to this monster, but you also, like... like I feel like as anxiety-riddled gay men, we see so much of ourselves in her. Yeah, I mean, the depression more than the anxiety. Yeah. I I just, my favorite line's like, I have depression. (laughs) And Patton Oswalt's just like, go outside. Yeah. (laughs) How about some exercise? Okay, first, quickly, (laughs) before we stay... (laughs) Take that poor dog for a walk. I, I do think that young adult putting you in the brain of this character is more audacious than the structural choices made in Tully. Yeah. I mean, they're, I think they're both, um, and just cause I'm thinking about what Chris said and I think that he said Tully was the trickiest. I think that that was the word. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I would actually disagree. Um, but structurally it's the trickiest. Yeah. Right. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, if Chris is listening to this, I'm not saying Hi, Chris. shame on you. We love you. I'm saying, they're both very tricky, but ultimately I think one yeah. is a little more audacious. Yeah. And yeah, love Chris. <laughs> Friend of the pod. Fellow he's film ba- fag. He's basically in the room with us right now. Um, God, yeah, adult. So yeah. Um, what so, more is there to say? Oh, there's pl- I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot to say, but where to begin? I sort of derailed us there. Um, when she's... It's just, it's such... Ben, going off what you said, it's mm-hmm. such a specific... It tackles such a specific feeling and tone, and I feel like we've also all been there. I mean, mm-hmm. I've I've had the deluded thought of an old flame who I'm going to win back, mm-hmm. and it's so real because you believe it, mm-hmm. yeah. and you whether, don't whether, whether or not it. we're gonna try and uh, break up a marriage and go back to our hometown and get a room at the Hampton Inn, right? Mm-hmm. But, but like that, it's that feeling that you you know you're right. Yeah. When when everyone else around you yeah it's delusional it's delusional yeah I I think one of the best parts of this film is the question of why her mm-hmm. why are we watching this movie obviously Charlize is turning in this you know brave for lack of a better word like she is just completely committed to this character. Mm-hmm committed to the bit like i was saying earlier and it's funny and it's unexpected and it is capturing this sort of big city snobbery like and the delusion itself is interesting to watch but why does diablo cody have the empathy for this character to write her with such frankly affection Mm -hmm. like uh attention and uh love Mm -hmm. they're the same thing and the amount of attention that cody plays to uh, pays to her routine shows that she has a love for this character oh editing again jason right with the editing the hair the makeup exactly all the yes the hair piece um Mm -hmm. which you know it is not genius but like I admire that he uses the formal elements, even if I think they're a little obvious. But in, I like them best in young adults. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is, 
I love that at the end of the movie, we do sort of get that grand dramatic reveal of like, oh, the reason why she's so obsessed with Buddy as this idea of what her life could have been is because she had a miscarriage while they were together. And I don't think that you have to think about a woman failing to give birth in order to have sympathy for her. Mm -hmm. In a way, that's another bait and switch. Like, we're waiting, like, we're waiting for that moment, and then she finally gives it to you. But if you've been paying attention, like, her depression, her loneliness, like, her Mm self-loathing, like, there are plenty, you know, there's myriad reasons to have sympathy and express empathy towards this character, even though she's a monster. Yeah. And it doesn't even, like, it it walks a fine line in a great way of it doesn't expect you to think that that's the whole reason that she is basically having a psychotic break yeah but it's just like it's another element we all have baggage it's just another we all have element baggage of hers that has caused and it, it's more like this explains why buddy it doesn't explain why her mm-hmm. mental state mm-hmm. 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 i love it that's such a crushing yeah. moment when uh, when Buddy's like, we're all clearly worried about you, Mavis. You're going through some sort of mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all... Just the idea... Like, what I was saying, like, this movie is not interested in what anybody else has to say. Yeah. Think about what every other character, like, their private conversations yeah. that are happening between scenes about her. And you yeah. don't think about and Mavis it is not, And Mavis it. does not think they're having them. She mm-hmm. thinks that she's outsmarting everybody, that she's going to go in and steal her man. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, everyone is like... Is she okay? Yeah. Is she going to jump from there? Is she going to jump from there? Everyone is worried. And I just... I don't get it from Tully. I don't know. I mean, Young Adult is the superior the movie. Just specify that. I'm not trying to be a bitch, but I don't really see the comparison in what Why? you're saying there. Can you just, like, say again what you just said? Like, what you don't... What you get from Young Adult, what you don't get from Tully? A specificity of... Like, who the main character is. Okay. I mean, I get that. I mean, young adult, she is a lot more specific. I think that in Tully, Marlo is also uh, in the fog of depression, and then in an even stronger fog, like a double rainbow of fog of postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. that she doesn't know who she is. Yeah. Mavis has a very clear idea of who she is as a person. That's true. Even if if it's a manufactured, poisonous uh, idea of herself that she thinks she can't avoid, so she plays into her worst aspects because it's a losing battle to try and be better, Mavis does have a clearly defined idea like of who she is. I feel like the camera has a more editorial like point of view of who Mavis is than who Marlo is. Right, because Mavis knows who she is. And no, Marlo I think it has to do with I think it does. That. I think it does. That's what I'm that's what I mean. Like I think they're both subjective films. But Tully <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> oh my god. Uh... I know. I'm on like the last day of this. I feel like in Tully that sort of that, that that lack of specificity that you're talking about it just puts us further into Marlo's head because she doesn't have anything to grasp onto in terms of her own identity at this moment either. With with the character of Tully, we get everything about her, which is sort of what Marlo is struggling with. That as a younger woman, she had it all figured out. She had hopes, she had dreams, she had a personality. And then as she gets older, yeah. her life doesn't look like... Not only does her life not look like what she thought or wanted it to be, but she doesn't recognize herself anymore. Mm-hmm. So... I think that that, I think that the clear definition you're looking for is what the character is looking for, and it's not there, and that's why. That's interesting. That that is how I would differentiate the specificity. Yeah, because Tully, 
I'm Tully. When she <laughs> enters, you get something very specific. You know immediately who this woman is. Like, she's wearing some crop top. Like, you know who this person is. But yeah, the cloudiness of Marlowe, you're like... Yes, that's the word. But yeah, they're just... They're all... They're, yeah, I get both. I, I see both sides, but... um. I love both of these movies. I, I just your sweater. <laughs> I like I like your sweater. Oh my god, that <laughs> fucking scene. What it, what's the first thing she's What the fuck? Doesn't she is that just what she says Something after like that. after she spills the wine no, on she her? She says fuck you, which is Oh yeah. yeah. Which is even worse. I could fuck you. That's it. I could watch this right now. I want to go home. I want to watch, watch Tully. I want to watch Young Adult. Um, I like that they're both tight 90s, too. Although, I wish Young Adult 90. was an hour longer. I mean, it would be hard to well, make... No, no, it would be hard. It would not be the same experience. Mm-hmm. It's just that thing where the movie intentionally gives you an unsatisfying ending if you are right. looking for a complete character package. Like, mm-hmm. the the character learns a lesson and then is going to right all of her wrongs and be a better person. And that's not what the ending of this movie is. Because that, that Patton Oswalt Because Call That Wolf, sister. I believe, is the actress's name. Like She's incredible She's in amazing. What do I? What else do I know her from? She has such a very specific smile. Yeah. But re- but basically, when, when Mavis is thinking aloud, like, I need to be better. Like, I can't keep making the same mistakes. She's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Like, you're awesome. You're awesome. And then she drives back to Minneapolis, and that's the last shot of the yeah, movie. She peels out. She's learned nothing. Mm-hmm. Colette Wolf. she was in... I know her from you're the worst she plays the improv oh, yeah. girlfriend on you're the worst yeah. that's what it was i love her Pat Oswalt a little bit in yes, young adults he's or... so good because i think he's amazing in the film roger ebert in his let me check. four star review um three and a half star review of young adult he said this movie works because of the Patton Oswalt character, because you need that entryway for the audience to look at Mavis. Well, he, he's and ju- Patton Oswalt provides that. He does that, and then he does something else too. But yeah, he like looks her dead in the eyes and is like, "You're a crazy person. What you're doing is wrong." And he's amused by it, but also like, "Don't go all the way," which is what the audience is doing too. Like, you want the movie to keep going. You're entertained. And I, I like every time I watch this movie. Once she, once, once it's like the band, uh, uh, the the show. Yeah. That's when I'm like, oh fuck, we're there's no turning around at that this point. Like, scene. She's been revving her engines, and then she puts her foot on the accelerator, mm-hmm. and that it's like, it's just the point of no just return. Watching her face. <clears throat> sorry. When Jesus. they're singing that song. I hate that there's gonna be coughing on the mic. But but so, it is good. But so Patton Oswalt like captures that idea of like being very amused by it and calling it out, but also like don't take it too far. Mm-hmm. But then once we spend more time with him in private, he really gives us this portrait of a guy who is also troubled, who is literally broken, mm-hmm. um, or has had his body broken, and that he has been living with it. But he has made different choices than she has in his life. Like they both are. Uh, victims in their own way. Her's a mental illness. He's probably depressed too, but, you know, he's the victim of a hate crime. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can tell that with his life, like, he has created his own little world that makes him happy. Like, sure, he's probably... He probably doesn't want to live in Mercury, but he has a whiskey distillery, and he puts together action figures and he has a steady job like and he lives in a house with his sister and it's like yeah sure he probably wants something bigger than that but he doesn't go out and try and ruin other people's lives Mm -hmm. like mavis does so i just think like as contrasts and two people who are victims of whatever it is outside of their control 
he just gives a, a really vulnerable performance that illustrates they're just great foils as characters yeah. and oswald does a lot of heavy lifting without it looking like he's doing a thing totally yeah he's incredible in it that's all i have to say just that i agree um so we also assigned raising arizona I think he was the runner-up for the national society of film critics oh, really yes i love that wow. 2000 what year is that movie? 11. 10 11 so we also assigned ourselves a homework raising arizona mm. and knocked up mm-hmm. which have nothing to do with time no <laughs> just because yeah. there's babies yeah mm-hmm. but ben is... do you want to talk about raising arizona you love it i just love it i think it's a great it's a great fucking it movie. is yeah, great. great holly hunter's amazing it's so that chase scene mm-hmm. mm. holy shit francis mcdormand great amazing. as dot she's mm-hmm. so good uh i saw this at the egyptian last year when they were leading up to twin peaks the return twin mm-hmm. picks the return they were doing a series of double features of uh, Lynch films and then a film in convert, just like a double feature. Mm-hmm. So I saw a double of Eraserhead and Raising Arizona, mm. which is sort of a brilliant move on a couple levels, like mm-hmm. that period of the American independence. Like there's, you know, 1979 or whatever. Ver- like there's a lot of distance, but like the Coens yeah. and David Lynch, they are sort of viewed as contemporaries, but mm-hmm. it's all the baby shit. Yes. Anyway, I, I love Raising Arizona too. Same. Yeah. And then knocked up. Well, it's fine. It's good. <laughs> it, it's difficult I, to watch that movie now. It, it still works. But Is it, it? What was difficult? The, uh, the, the, the balls the of top, it all? The balls of it all. I don't want to watch a movie that asks the pretty girl to take a chance on the schlubby guy anymore. Yeah. He also doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Anything to deserve that. I agree. No, I... I was feeling that. So I was feeling that about halfway through the movie. Um, and I was like, this doesn't hold up. But then this, for whatever reason, I turned the second half of the movie. Even though I agree with you guys, like, it's definitely like the schlubby guy doesn't change a thing. And the pretty girl with a career is he, forced he wait, to, he is waits forced too long to, to change. He waits too long to change. But they, they, like... I don't want to say like that she's flawed too, but but she is in a way. Like she's a workaholic. He's a layabout. They complement each and other. And they're and they're they're both cliches in their own way, but I think Apatow in this movie like finds interesting ways to subvert the character's own tropes. Like yeah. he's the stoner, but he also makes a few valid points when he argues with Catherine Heigl's character and like Catherine Heigl's like the stuck up shrew and like but she obviously has like many points again. I don't know. I just feel like they're both. I do think that this is a movie. balance. There's I, your balance. There's just your balance. them. I don't know. I, I, I do feel think like they're that both. This flawed. movie is more so than his other films, like Apatow working with archetypes and then trying to undermine them as the film goes on. Yeah, right. Because he loves like the messiness, the complications mm-hmm. of what it means to be human. And I just like a movie that like has these two third act parallel moments. That could absolutely and probably should have been cut, like the Vegas shrooms uh-huh. against uh, them going I love to the, the chairs, going to the Speaking club. Of police, I okay. love those empty chairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's a which moment. is next to the Egyptian. Oh. What is that's? Uh, you can see the church that club. Yeah, that's right next oh. to the Egyptian. Oh, nice. On Hollywood. Nice. Well, it's, not, it's on a cross street. I just love in this movie that, like in any other movie, that 
should have been cut. That's like director's cut shit, yeah. but like in an Apatow movie. Well, you, 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 you got to give Craig Robinson his scene. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, do, I know. I do think oh, Knocked Up could I be a tight 90 without cutting any of the subplots, just cutting jokes I just, that aren't necessary. There's, sure. There's um, sure. A, uh, someone, oh, John Early. Someone who wrote on Billy in the Street with John Early, some podcast mentioned a joke that he made in the writer's room of that show about, remember when comedies weren't just improv? Mm -hmm. And there is something about Knocked Up. It's kind of grating. Yeah. It it, it does feel circle jerky. It feels circle jerkier more than it feels laugh a minute to me at times. Yeah. It's not bridesmaids. No. Which is laugh Laugh a minute. minute. Yeah. I don't have so much of a problem in concept of improv in the movies. Mm-hmm. I actually, I'm sure that neither of you agree with me, but the really the only thing I don't like about The Wolf of Wall Street is that I think that Jonah Hill wanted to improv and Martin Scorsese was like, this guy's delivering gold, keep it coming. Mm-hmm. And then the, some of the scenes in Wolf of Wall Street just get so slack and loose to me with like jokes that it gets flaccid. It's not the whole movie. <laughs> There's little scenes that, anyway, um, I, I, I think that, yeah, <laughs> let it go. I, 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 I feel like I'm under like most of Ben's skin right now, so I should tread carefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I just want to take uh, this, this is the, the I just want to take a moment to defend Knocked Up because I like it a lot. It is- I, th- I think it probably doesn't hold up as much as I think it does in my head, but I think, I when think, you feel how you feel. I, I think. It is Judd Apatow's best movie. He mm. won't make a better movie. Mm. Wow. wow. I mean, that's probably wow. true. Right? Nah, I mean, I like funny people better, and I like the 40-year-old virgin better. And I just think this is... I think this is 40 is um, a noble failure. That's kind. He he <laughs> knew that subplot had its own movie, and then he wrote a, he wrote a well, movie that wasn't what it should have been. I, I think that... Um, well, I mean, you want to talk about a movie that uh, tries to say, look at our rich, white, straight, uh, upper class characters in the midst of a turbulent social or like cultural moment. And this will be our vantage point on the story. Like this is 40 yeah. is very like, like rich, white people problems. Isn't there a subplot literally about Sprinkles Cupcakes? Yeah. Like he throws it. them out, and she's like, "Why'd you throw them out?" And it's, it's just like, like it's a not whole thing. It's just not relatable. Uh, it's Brent. One thing Brent I would, it's problems. Brentwood problems. And watch that really grated against me this time. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking of this movie. Oh, where, even in Knocked Up, if this movie was made, now, Knocked Up is extremely white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a problem. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I was thinking about that too. But uh, if the movie was made now, he would like instead of moving to or. They hang out in Hollywood. They'd be like going to bars in like Echo Park. Like it's yeah. the thing it, is, it's, is like it's of its time. The Hollywood. And I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. The Hollywood it's character of, of this movie. I mean, the film took place in a time where that is where young people hung out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember when I would visit like my uncle, who was like in his early 30s, I guess, when he lived in LA. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple times like meeting up with some of his friends and it was all in like, and they were all sort of like that aughts, like 30s, like hipster sort of thing. Um, meeting up like in Hollywood um, in, in these establishments and I don't know, I just remember like when I was a kid, like Knocked Up came out a few years later, but like I'm doing such a poor job of explaining this. Basically, like, 
what now feels like why the fuck are they hanging out in Hollywood? Mm-hmm. It's like that is where young people used to hang out in right. this city. Well, also, white people. Straight, people, straight white people. When yeah. Catherine Heigl said, "Oh, he's twenty three, I was like, "What the what the fuck? fuck? Yeah, he, what the flying and, and, fuck?" And, and he was twenty five when he made the movie yeah. too. Crazy. I was what? like, "Oh, he's twenty nine playing twenty three. Yeah, yeah I thought he was. Oh my god. I know. Anyway, oh, I, was I was thinking fu- about yes. I think. <laughs> sorry for the uh, that uh, Judd Apatow thinks he really married up with Leslie Mann. And here's what I have to say about that. <laughs> yes. I look at, if you look at pictures of Judd Apatow in the 90s, he's incredibly cute and he's very fit. And he was running the Larry Sanders show. Yeah. So it's like, he probably is projecting that he is the Seth Rogen character. Yes. But in no way was he. <laughs> like, sure, he probably did get high with his friends on the weekend, but he also ran the Larry Sanders show yeah, and true. was beautiful. It's true. <laughs> he was just Jewish. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and it then frustrates me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Freaks, Freaks and Geeks is one of my all-time favorite television shows. Mm-hmm. So I do have a level of... Pre- and he, of course, he's, you know, created that with Paul. Feig, so hmm, what? Oh yeah, you don't Paul like Feig makes No, I'm. I just tried to drink from my water with oh. the lid on, and you were looking at me. Nice. So I thought you saw. Anyway, Paul so Feig makes a cameo. He does, and he's like a total misogynist, yeah, and it's, it's crazy weird. to think that he would go on. I'm not saying that he's the character, but it's right. crazy to watch Paul Feig say such terrible things against women. I know. When he goes on to direct Spy and mm-hmm. Bridesmaids, and it's he, just weird that he's in the movie at all. Well, he, he, you know, there's so many freaks and geeks. It's because it's like I know who he is that I think it's weird. Yeah. Uh, I will say uh, it's crazy watching Knocked Up now. You think about, like, whether or not it holds up, it did have a lasting cultural impact, Mm -hmm. obviously, in studio comedy. But that's a whole other conversation that I actually don't think we have to have on this this episode. So I will keep it superficial and say uh, Jonah Hill Mm -hmm. is now a two-time Academy Award winner. Martin Starr. What nominee? That's what I nominee, <laughs> nominee. Yeah, Sorry, the number of people. Mar- Martin Starr is on and is one of like one of the leads on an HBO. I really comedy. can do the full list because the list is yeah, long. I will. Charlene, you <laughs> sat next to me at Found Coffee the other day. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we can go on and on and on. But like, Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, like course. they're all doing incredible the, the, like, things the, right the now. The B and C characters, like, yeah, exactly. Like Hader and Wig and Craig Robinson. This is before mm-hmm. the off. No, it's during yeah, the off. Yeah. During the office. Yeah. Um, and then Leslie Mann just did blockers. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, Leslie Mann, Jesus Christ. Should've anyway, I, she she, she bumps it a, a full fucking star for me. She's incredible. That whole side plot, which launched this is this is forty. I mean, it's it this it is a deserves to minutes. be in the movie. The last thing I will say about Knocked Up is that it was radical for its time. And it probably doesn't hold up as well as it does, but I I, I appreciate it for what it did mm-hmm. at its time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also think that it probably, I don't think at the time we may have seen it as as extreme a critique as it is of toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. because we weren't, or I wasn't anyway, at 16 years old, looking at it through that lens. Yeah. Uh, which is I'm ashamed to say. Like obviously, I'm like this guy's not a hero. This guy is a slob. Like these people are totally, they have terrible behavior. Like who raised them this way? Yeah. But it's really only watching it now that I, I can see that Apatow like had, doing the Wolf of Wall Street thing. Like wants you to sort of hang out with these guys, yeah. but at the same time, he is aware of the poisonous atmosphere that they are creating. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the fucking Mr. Skin thing, like, really... Like, that's hard. That's painful to watch now. Mm-hmm. It is. That's it really... Is. What would, I think, 
when this came out again like as me like a stupid teenager it's disgusting but it's like boys will be boys and yeah. now you see it and you're like i just like i yeah. don't have any sympathy it's like, tough this is disgusting it's tough to watch yeah remembering high goal like gets into it and like is helping and then when she sees is it wild oh, things yeah, is on that. tv and it like makes yeah, her she miss him yeah <laughs> yeah it's like stuff like that the ass those like, those parts me. me too Ka- remember when Catherine Heigl called the movie sexist after yes. the fact? Yes. And, you know, she's not wrong. She's not She's not wrong. She's not 100% like I said, wrong. I think the movie is trying to call out sexism. It is. But, like, Ben suggests the fact that... There are moments... The fact that she, like, gets into it. And that's then a little weird. And lovingly thinks of him because she's watching Wild Things. Yes. Like, that is doesn't, having... That's having its kick. Doesn't quite yes. work in 2018. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, or ever. You know, forever. Like you know, inappropriate in twenty eighteen. As Fran Lebowitz has said, it wasn't acceptable then, but it was permissible, and so there it was. Yeah, and there it was. Um, anything else about Tully? <sighs> no, I'm tired. Good night. I'm Good very night. tired. <laughs> to say about Tully, like at, when we were still talking about Angels in America. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, almost two hours ago. Um, yeah, Tully's great. I I wanted to see it again as soon as it ended me too me too that's definitely and I can't one wait to see it again. i loved it so much yeah I'm gonna when see you it again. brought up earlier that you have to see it again i was gonna snipe and be like i probably will never watch that movie again oh, i'll definitely watch it again fuck what is she saying young fuck adult you fuck you <laughs> nah. nice sweater i like your sweater <laughs> i like your sweater um anyway then Oh, well, actually, I will Daniel? say I will say one thing about Tully. someone. Um, pretzel. I, I was so <laughs> moved. I was so moved by the concept of our lead character being in dialogue with her younger self, and how that reconciliation allows her to unlock parts of herself that she sort of shoved away and, and put in the safe. That last night, I had the wild idea that I was going to look at every single picture I ever posted on Instagram, not to be like, oh, that's a good picture and that's a good picture, but to basically be like, what was like, look at the moments you captured then. It was only like six years ago, but like I was in college, like I'm, you know, we're all young boys, but like I did this exercise and I, and I was already like thinking about what I would say to myself like 10 years ago, but I had my Instagram only goes back six. So I was basically just like trying to get in that headspace because mm-hmm. the movie really made me think about it. And I can't wait to tell my therapist about it. I don't have to say Hell on mic yeah. all the thoughts it made me have, but like, I can't wait to talk to my therapist about it. Like, it, I think this movie has such a positive message. <laughs> like it's it a, really, it's it, a self help movie. It really, yeah, it's without being preachy. <sighs> it's beautiful. And I think Mackenzie Davis is such a talent. This is our second Mackenzie episode. Okay, can I say episode. one, like... Scathing critique? It's not even scathing. It bothers ben, me. Ben, ben is holding up one finger, <laughs> and he's wagging it. Listen! It really bothers me that there's no, like... I know that it's not even real. The, na- the, the night nanny is not even real. There's no... Like, critique of what if I don't have a rich brother who's going to pay for a night nanny? How do I get better? And I know that that's not what is actually happening. But there are poor women who are suffering from... I wanted to say PTSD. In a way. It is that. In a way. Um, And they are not able to afford the help that they need. Correct. And it upsets me that that's not addressed in any way in the movie i do think even in the smallest i think another link you can draw between judd apatow and jason reitman is that they do sort of have this attitude sometimes where it's like this is real life yeah 
when it's privilege. not privilege. But you know, I don't really get the idea that Marlo's family is rich. Like she right. has, she has a rich. They can't, as they say, like they come from a poor, broken family. Mm-hmm. He like found his fortune in the world. And she lives a totally respectable, stable life with right. her husband, who's in some weird, obscure tech thing. Mm-hmm. And she's in HR. Like, they, right. they live a middle-class life. Um, yeah, no, not everyone has, like, a rich brother, but it's also not... It's not couched in the same sort of Brentwood milieu right. as Knocked Up. But I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Just offense. I'm, I'm easily offended about <laughs> rich people. <laughs> Eat the rich. Eat the rich. Eat them as soon as possible. Get their money out into the world. Give people that don't have houses their houses. And... I can't wait until... And I'm not saying, like, the Democrats are spineless for not taking this tact because I am a partisan hack. And I think that it's a more complicated conversation about how to win over America. But I cannot wait for a candidate to say... To be accused of wanting to redistribute wealth in this country on a on a debate stage and then them say, that's exactly what I want to do. Actually, that candidate... Will be Miss Cynthia Nixon. <gasps> oh. She's gonna. Uh, did he agree to the debate? Is it happening? Know. If he he better fucking agree to the debate. I mean, I'm sure he will. What will you do, Andrew? What's the line that she says? She like directly asks. She's like, she's like your move, something like or that. something. Fucking love her. She's Our like more water. <laughs> or that that's actually Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Close, Close enough. enough. Yeah. Anyway, this is movie time. All. I'm Ben Empey. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. Oh, right. We do it at the end. Uh, I'm Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. And I don't know. I basically spilled wine on my white blouse while I was camping this weekend. Oh, no. I did it myself. Oh, rip. I spilled the wine myself. Oops. Um, I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. Um, this is Movies IMO. You can find us on Twitter at Movies IMO. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Please review, rate, and love us and give us five stars and <laughs> say nice things about us and tell us we're pretty and that you like us. Um, just like Patton Oswald's sister, she just wants to be liked. Um, what are we talking about next week? And, and if you come, and if you come to us with a serious dilemma of the soul, we will say you're fine. You're fine. You're beautiful. You don't have to change at all. You great. do you, honey. Take me with you. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good here. here. Oh, oh, it murders me. Um, next week, we will be talking about... Zama. Zama. We'll be talking about <laughs> Ben the Zama Llama. Zama. <laughs> Lucrecia Martel's Zama. And her other films, and the films that inspired the film. If... if have the time and the stamina. <laughs> if Zama is not playing in your town, I would say maybe watch some of Lucretia's earlier films. We're also There's gonna, only three. We're also definitely going to talk about Aguirre the Wrath of God, mm-hmm. and we're going to try and talk about the three other films that inspired Zama, which Ben tweeted. Which are... There's a lot of time there. For Love and Gold. Yeah, they're long. Uh, the Saragossa <laughs> Manuscript in the Desert of the Tartars. Only because, like, Zama is about to leave L.A., so yeah. for anyone listening who doesn't live in New York or L.A., I'm sure that access to the film is tough. It continues There's to really... expand thanks to Strand releasing. Thank you, Strand. Hopefully you're able to see it. If not... Like I was saying, we're going to talk about Martel's other work. Like, there's still going to be plenty to uh, listen to. And then, you know, eventually you'll see Zama. I'm sure you'll buy it on VOD. Mm -hmm. 
And also, it's not really a... Well, you know what? Let's save that for the Zama episode. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna sign off here and Next go watch week. some Lucretia homework. Nice. I'm going to go stand on the beach and look out towards my destiny, the ship of I'm destiny go... that is never coming. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're going to step into the water and turn into a mermaid. Oh. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's beautiful. I thought it was going to get dark and then I got really, really lovely beautiful. and bright. Thank yes, you. I'm going to swim away. I'm going to ignore Good. every emotional impulse I have, and I'm going to fold my laundry, and I'm going to do more chores instead of, like, actually relax, and then I'm going to murder the man that I'm sleeping with for money, because I'm Jean Dielman. Oh, Oh, fuck. Oh, good. I'm in a very Jean Dielman place right now. Doing oh the chores. God. There is so... I got back from my trip. Oh I my had God. therapy last night. I needed to go to the grocery store. I just, like, haven't stopped moving since Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> You've been peeling those potatoes, I'm, polishing those shoes. We are at the point where I am about to drop the potatoes on the floor. Thank God. <laughs> you're going you to drop the shoe brush. Can't wait for you to stab a man. Thank God you brought that up because we kind of failed today in a way like talk about Jean Tully and Jean Dielman has so much overlap mm-hmm. I'm a little embarrassed I thought about it but it didn't like it wasn't there wasn't an organic way yeah to bring it up it wouldn't flow like life mm-hmm. oh so this podcast will have almost hit two hours, uh, which is fine. <laughs> on the Tully episode. On the Tully episode. <laughs> we talked about Tully for 20 of those minutes. But we all loved it. Well, we all liked it. I liked Some it. of us loved it. Correct. So yeah, I am going to go swim into the uh, oil spill. Oh, all right. Oh. Bye. Okay, bye. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.